It's so good to see you here today. You know, I look at Refresh and um, as you know, we're part of the school community here and uh, Graham came in last week. He's our school principal, if you don't know him. And uh, when you're a staff member, you get to have these little cheeky conversations, but the, the stack at the back here were full of young people and I said to Graham, Graham, I think you're a bit old for this. And he just laughed at me. He said, I love it that way. And, um, you know, we do have a lot of, if, if you're an adult who sits up there, you probably find it's a little noisy at times, don't you? But you know what? Isn't it awesome that we have so many young people and kids that are here with us in this community? I think that is awesome. And um, so now we go to super quiet. <laughs> but um, I just want to acknowledge that it is a privilege to have so many young people in community. Some church communities would just ache to have that noise in their church, to have that vibrance. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sharon, and I have the privilege of being church pastor here. And um, we're small in number today, um, partly because uh, there is a, a conference for women just over the way. So a lot of our ladies, young ladies, are over there. And I think some of the spouses probably thought... I'm going to take a day off. So we're, we're few in number, but significantly great in quality, right? So it's really good to have you here. You know, um, last year, uh, Sarah Redmond uh, took a sermon at God at Work. And some of you might have been here for that. But it's a phrase that uh, they incorporate into their life as a, as a family and look out and try to look out regularly, if not each day, of where God's at work. And uh, our family aren't as diligent as every day, but it does come up from time to time, probably at least once a week. Where did you see God at work? And I just thought I'd share, I would love Jared to have shared this story, and Ethan has a story too, but I've got a few because you know what? I would really love you guys to continually to think, where's God at work? You know, it's all good and well for us to, to um, you know, uh, we are a Christian community, and if you're on a journey in that space, um, we're just so glad you're here today with us. And uh, I always believe that God wants us here at this time and space right now. So be prepared because God has something for you. But um, for us to make, uh, to realize that God is not a distant God or, or a, a God hidden in a book somewhere, but God is active and in our lives. But when we were on church camp a few weeks ago, uh, Jared last year for his birthday got a Fitbit um, he, he had a little party and every single kid that came gave him money. So he was really chuffed about that and he got himself a Fitbit. He also had a band around his wrist that had been given to him at our week of worship here um, at school, which is a special week that they have once a year. And it was a rubber, you know, one of those little rubber bands. So he had one of those and it actually says, God is with you on the band. Well, he was at church camp which was at, at Somerset Dam, and they were mucking around Saturday afternoon in the water, and um, they were on this big sort of pontoony thing, jumping on and off, on and off. And then at whatever stage, he looked down and he noticed his Fitbit was undone, but that the rubber band had got entangled around it and was holding it on his wrist. And he, he was like, he came after he got back from church camp that week, and he said, Mum, I saw God at work. And he said how if the rubber band hadn't been there, he would have lost his Fitbit. 
he would never have been seen again. And uh, so ironically, you know, that little band said, God is with you. And it was significant to him to see that, you know, he, he called that moment himself God at work. This last week I've spent a bit of time. We've had, you know, the new cafe. And right next to the cafe you will notice there's a pull-down, um, what do you call those things? Roller door uh, over there. And you might wonder what that's about. Uh, that roller door inside there is a mini kitchen. And every, every morning at school that mini kitchen gets opened up and by lunchtime it's a hive of activity over there because one of our staff members and I mentioned him a few weeks ago Mr Baskin runs a soup kitchen and he's right next to me now so I pop in there from time to time to say good day steal some of his soup and uh, have a chat and you know I'm just inspired by his heart to serve you know and I ask him questions like where does the bread come from? How do you make the soup? And he, he's got it all organised and where he orders it. And I said, where does the money come from? And he goes, well, there's a few people who just chuck in some money. And I just think that is amazing every single day. That's his duty, but his love duty. And I see God at work through him as he serves that every single day to our students. And he goes um, three times a week to a Brumbies to pick up the bread to make sure that there's bread there for the kids as well. You know, God is at work. We had our open night here this last week and uh, I was a bit tight for time and uh, as it was just opening up, Josh Wareham, he's in year one, he comes up and he goes, Pastor Sharon, can I help you? Sure thing, Josh. So he's sitting there guarding my little, um, I had a little few things to give out and I didn't want the kids who'd just finished school to nick off with them because they were for the parents. So Josh, he was my guard. And then two more. Ruby Malkert and Kyla Richardson come over all year one. Can I help you? And they're, they're doing little jobs for me. And then Kyla goes, you know what? I love helping people. You know, God is at work. God is at work. And I saw God at work through those three young people. And I just want to encourage you, keep asking yourself, keep asking the people around you, where did you see God at work? Where did you see God at work? Because God needs to be real because he is real. He's interactive. We're just finishing off a series called Invest. And today, um, we're just going to finish off the thoughts that we have had over the last few weeks. We started off talking about the fact that Jesus invested in people, that people matter to Jesus, and therefore he wants them to matter to us. Neil challenged us to think about the next generation and how we can invest in the next generation. And then last week, Kim and Sarah, Kim here today? She was here, she's up today. Didn't she do a great job last week? Let's give Kim a round of applause. Thank you, Kim, for your message last week. Standing tall for Jesus. But challenged us um, to trust God even when we have an empty tank even when sometimes we just feel we don't have that next bit that what we could possibly invest. And we were challenged through the story of a lady called a Shunammite woman who gave out of almost nothing, everything. And yet God blessed that. God used her. So today we conclude that. In August 1963, 
Martin Luther King Jr. stood tall at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and he shared that speech that most of us know part of it very well. We know those words, I have a dream, I have a dream. And that speech was the part of the speech which started off reflecting on a proclamation that had been made to the American Negroes a hundred years before that had said, I quote, uh, that um, Martin Luther had said in his thing, I quote, a hundred years later and the Negro is still not free because that proclamation had pronounced that they would be free. Martin Luther King was actually a, a preacher's kid who in his teens didn't think much of the whole thing about God, but God worked on his life and uh, he ended up studying and becoming a preacher himself. But underneath all of that, he continued to see the injustice to his people and that well deep within him. And he never let go of that fire that was burning within him. It bled in his heart and it made him cry. And I'm sure many of you have seen various movies reflecting on that era in America. And it says that as he ended his speech, he actually diverted from his speech when he started his I have a dream thoughts. Because the passion well deep within him, he had to share his dream of freedom, his dream of equality for his people. And I love that there were a number of the I have a dream. But in one of them he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. April 4, 1968, he was assassinated. And yet if we project 40 years later, in 2004, 2008, on November 4, Barack Obama became the first African-American United States president. And go 50 years on, 10 more years on from that, and I don't know how many of you probably many polarised, some couldn't stay away, others had to stay away. But last week we had a British royal wedding where Prince Harry and Meghan Markle married and undoubtedly that is another significant milestone in the movement that uh, Martin Luther King was a part of. Another step in that realisation of his dream in fact, Martin Luther King was actually quoted in the Reverend Michael Curry's service. Martin Luther King's dream continues to become a reality. But today I want to open the Bible. I want to open the scripture to someone else who had a dream. Somebody else who was stirred. Somebody else who couldn't not do something and I want to backtrack a little bit before we get to this this character just a quick little bit of history 
And for some of us, this will just be, ah, yeah, I remember. And for others, it might be a few things that are a bit scratchy. And for others, maybe something we haven't heard before. But as we start out in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we discover a character, Abraham. And Abraham left his country to go to another land. God had called him to do so. He went in faith and he obeyed. And then many years later, his descendants, which were called the Israelites, had multiplied greatly. But by this time, they were enslaved in Egypt as slaves. And while they were in Egypt for 400 years, they continued to multiply. But God had another plan for them. And so another leader rose up. Moses is his name. And he, through the power of God, led that whole community, the group, the children of Israel is what we call them, out of Egypt. Because God had promised for them to enter to another space. And that was called the land of Canaan, which they did. It took some time, but they got there. They got to the land of Canaan and they had hundreds of years there where they, as a nation, sometimes flourished. Other times they had struggles. Sometimes they were faithful to God. Other times they wrestled greatly with God. And then the very high point perhaps that came in the Israelite journey was when uh, a king arose by the name of King David. And David has written uh, a couple of significant um, parts of the Bible and, uh, and, and shares his journey and his story. And in that time, as he stood on the throne, the nation continued to expand and the influence of God and the knowledge of God grew. But unfortunately, after David, things went downhill. And after his son, King Solomon, died, in fact, Israel split as a nation. And that, that's not uncommon is it, for um, nations to split. Israel split as a nation into two. And when they did, they became one at ten nations at the north and ten at the south. I mean, two at the south, sorry. The northern kingdom, kingdom had ten tribes and the southern kingdom had two. But those ten tribes, over time, they, they ended up being taken over and they actually completely dispersed and they've been known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. But Judah continued on. Got these little notes in, out of order. Judah continued on. And when Judah continued on, over time, the God had said, um, unfortunately... Uh, something tragic is going to happen. And that tragedy, in fact, was that Jerusalem, which was the, the heart of Judah, the, 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 the most precious place, was going to be taken over. And that indeed did happen in 586 BC. A king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jerusalem and captures um, the, the Jews. But not only that, the city was destroyed. I don't know how to liken it. Uh, but in some of my reading, they likened it to Hiroshima, uh, just a wiped out city um, that had been so significant to these people. And inside of that, the temple, which was the most precious place for them, was destroyed and the walls were crushed down. And here then these people, these Israelites, found themselves back 
in the space they had been in Egypt. Many years before, they'd done a full cycle and they're back as slaves, but this time in Babylon. So these guys are back there. It, it was about a 1,600-kilometre journey. So it's like being taken from here to about Melbourne, mostly on foot, taken in exile. And one of those guys was Daniel, and that's another name that you will find in the Bible and another whole story there. So these, this was predicted in the Bible that this would happen, and it did. It came to pass. But it was also predicted that these people would not be completely destroyed. It was also predicted that they would actually one day return. And that is indeed what happened. Because, you know, God, God is a God who doesn't give up on us. God is a God who does not give up on us. And he didn't give up on these people either, in spite of their lack of faithfulness from time to time, in spite of their struggles from time to time. God did not give up. So by now the Persians are in charge. They've taken over the Babylonians and there's a king, a new king, King Cyrus. He's not a Jew. He's an atheist perhaps, or not an atheist, but has his own gods. When I say not an atheist, he believes in gods, but not the God of heaven. And yet God moved this guy. God moved this guy to make a decree that some of the Jews could return, that they could start to return back to Jerusalem. And that movement continued over three different times, over a hundred years, where Jews were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem. But unfortunately, the city was still in the state that it was when they left it. It was in ruins, and actual life there was extremely difficult and dangerous. But the Persians had a different kind of uh, ruling power than Babylon in regards to the Jewish people, in regards to these exiles that they had taken in. They actually allowed them to, to start to resettle, and they encouraged them to do so. They gave them a certain type of autonomy. So once they were slaves, now in fact they were reasonably autonomous in Persia. And so now we meet the character we want to talk about today and his name was Nehemiah. And the time of Nehemiah was around 445 BC. His role was a cupbearer to the king, to King Cyrus, and he was a Jew. Nehemiah was a Jew. So the role of a cupbearer, does anybody know what they did? Other than carrying in the wine to the king, they were the wine taster. Do you know why they were the wine taster? So they didn't get poisoned. That's right. So the king didn't get poisoned. So if it was poisoned, the cupbearer would find out first. And uh, the king was protected. But in, do in saying that, he was actually in a, in a fairly, um, you know, it, it was a comfortable job. He lived in the palace. It was pretty cool. And we're going to take up the story of Nehemiah in the book or the story in the Bible of Nehemiah. And we're going to pop some of these up on the screen. So we're going to start off with this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halakiah. And we don't actually hear of Nehemiah in the Bible, in the scriptures, until this very, very verse. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th century, while I was in the citadel of Susa, and Susa is in Persia, 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, as I said, Nehemiah had a pretty good job, really. He had an intimate relationship with royalty. Some of us might not like that thought. He, in, in some ways, had some kind of political standing. And as I said, he lived in the palace. Not such a shabby place to live. And in many ways, it was a cushy job, really. Comfortable. And yet, one of his brothers returns. He catches up with this guy and he says, Hey, how's things going for the people back in Jerusalem? For my brothers back in Jerusalem? For my sisters back in Jerusalem? How are things going? He really wanted to know. You know how sometimes you say to somebody, How are you? But you don't really want to know. You just really want to hear, good, because you really don't have much time to interchange. You know, you don't want them to bear their soul. Uh Uh-uh, not Nehemiah in this moment. He was deeply, the Bible, when it says that he, he questioned, it was really, he really wanted to know. He was demanding. He really wanted to know exactly what was happening. He was genuinely interested. You know, sometimes it is definitely easy for us to actually stay quite uninvolved in situations, isn't it? Sometimes we we don't really want to think about the stuff that might be happening in our own lives, let alone others' lives, in our church, community or world. Sometimes it's nice, actually just better off not even asking if sometimes we, we find ourselves in that space. But not Nehemiah. And it goes on to say, When I, Nehemiah, heard these things, I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept. It greatly affected him. He could barely stand it. He was broken. In some ways, you could say, like Jerusalem was, he was devastated. And the people of Jerusalem could have, in fact, perhaps done something about it. They could have actually, they'd been back there. Why weren't they um, repairing the city? Why weren't they rebuilding the walls of the city? Why weren't they investing in this space? And it could have been easy for Nehemiah to go, you know what? Not my business. Poor them. But I'm here. I'm in the palace. This is cushy. This is great. Bad luck for those guys. But he hurt. It broke him. There was a deep emotion reflected in this statement. And it goes on to say, For some days I, Nehemiah, mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keep his covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And the prayer actually goes on. 
So Nehemiah and this deep emotion is mourning. And then he's fasting and praying. Now, fasting is a custom of the Jewish people. that they would, they would fast as a part of their Jewish tradition. But here, Nehemiah was fasting more. In fact, you, you don't see it here, but later on when you put some numbers together, the time that this was of, of mourning, prayer and fasting was probably over a period of about 40 days. Now, I don't think he fasted 40 days, but perhaps on and off he fasted. It's interesting, I don't, I'll tell you a bit of a side note here, the research that's coming out about the positive effects of fasting on our bodies. I don't know if you've ever read anything recently, but um, the cell rejuvenation and um, uh, the health benefits of fasting is quite fascinating um, to do some kind of fasting regularly. So the Bible is onto it. So here we have a man who's deeply affected by a situation and the Bible goes on. We're going to skip a little bit. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was bought for him, I, Nehemiah, took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city of my ancestors were buried? So where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Deeply affected him so much so that, you know, it wasn't something that he could just cover up. Obviously, the king knew him pretty well. He was his cupbearer. As you know, people who are close to you pretty well, and you can tell, you know, you say, What's, how are you feeling? And what do they say? How, you, how, how are you going? Is something up? And they say, nothing, <laughs> nothing. But you know straight away, something, <laughs> something's going on. Couldn't be hid how he felt. It couldn't be covered up. A deep sadness of heart. The king said to me, what is it you want? So he, he shares with him the issue and the king asks, what do you want? And he says, Nehemiah says back, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I asked the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. The first few little things there. He's standing in front of the king and the king says, what is it you want? And Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I don't think he ran off and knelt by his bed. He's right there in the moment in the presence of the king. And there's a little glimpse here of a little short prayer. You know, prayer is a conversation with God that can happen at any time, any space, anywhere, any situation, any way. This was a head prayer, a quick prayer, uh, a, a necessary prayer. Just remember that you can talk to God at any time, anywhere, any space. This was an emergency prayer. And I find that very encouraging. Sometimes you could be in front of your boss, 
sitting in an exam, staring your children in the face. There's always time for a short prayer, a quick prayer. The story goes on. And because of the gracious hand of God, my God was on me. The king granted my request. So after some conversation, the king had granted Nehemiah his request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So when we track this, we find here is Nehemiah. He's putting himself out there. He's basically saying, I've got this cushy job in the palace, but now I'm asking for leave, paid or unpaid, I don't know. He's asking for leave to go and help people that could possibly help themselves, but they're not. But something's driving him to say, I really feel burdened by this. It has deeply saddened me that our spiritual home, Jerusalem, is not where it should be, is not how it should be. He gets permission from the king to take his leave. And as soon as he communicates that to a few people, he gets opposition. How often does that happen? How often does it happen that you get um, some way down a journey of wanting to contribute, of your dream, of, your, of whatever is happening, and there is a roadblock, there is opposition. Very common, very regular. So he shares what he... And the other thing just to point out with that is that how he acknowledges from the outset that God's grace was with him, that he gives glory to God, he gives honour to God, he gives honour to God, he gives thought and prayer and gives honour to God, he communicates his plan and then he gets opposition. And talking about opposition, you know, um, recently at a conference and opposition usually comes from the loudest people and the loudest people usually are only about 10% of the people but they're very loud. They're loud in your head. They're the loud ones who keep you up at night the loud ones that churn your stomach. But sometimes we forget that they're only a small minority. And sometimes the loud are important. We always have to go back to the Bible to go, maybe maybe they are right, maybe they're biblical, maybe I need to actually listen. But sometimes they're not. Um, and I'll tell you what, these loud ones didn't stop Nehemiah. And the story goes on. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. By night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. I don't want to live through the dung gate, but it existed. Examining the walls of Jerusalem where, there, where they were broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night examining the walls 
Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Well, here's a really great, here's a really great call for us to assess the need. Here's Nehemiah. He's broken over the situation, but now he's actually really going to see what exactly needs to be done. What exactly needs to happen? What's the exact situation? He wants a first-hand picture. And so he heads by moonlight around the city walls to take a good look, to take some notes, to see exactly what needs to be done. And the story goes on. Then I said to them, now them here is his people now. I've jumped a little bit. He's done his analysis and he's jumped a little bit and he said, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. And these are the important words here. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of, God, of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Here's Nehemiah. He's now gone and gathered a team. He's gone and got rallied some people around him. He's presented the situation. He's acknowledged the power of God in this. He's inspired the people and now he's inviting them, come, let's go and rebuild. Come. And just to finish off the little passage, and this is found in Nehemiah 1 and 2 in the Bible. Chapter 1 is the first part of Nehemiah and chapter 2 is the second little part. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and now Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I, Nehemiah, answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. bit more opposition be prepared for opposition be prepared for things not to work out exactly as perhaps we plan be prepared for a little bit of difficulty be prepared sometimes to have to go perhaps and look from a different angle but don't let it stop don't let it stop us because if God is behind it there will be success there will be success So you might be asking yourself, where does this story intersect with us? Where does this story intersect with invest? Well, I believe there's a Nehemiah in all of us. There was a Nehemiah in Jesus. Jesus was moved deeply. He set himself he had a dream, he had a vision, I have a dream, I can imagine what Jesus' words would have been, I have a dream to save my people that I love, I have a dream that everybody will choose to follow me, I have a dream that one day it can be reunited with my, my children that I have made, I have a dream, Jesus had that dream, he had that mission, in the big picture, but he also he also had a dream to, to invest in people and Neil talked about how Jesus invested in his disciples but not only that, he invested in the individual. 
He invested in the woman. He invested in the child. And we talked about that in the first week of this series. There's a Nehemiah in all of us. There's a Nehemiah in you. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He wasn't a king. He wasn't an administrator. He probably didn't have a degree. He wasn't a pastor. He was a cupbearer. He was an ordinary bloke, just like you and I. But he was moved deeply by a need. He talked to God about it and then he pursued it and he gathered a team. You know, at Refresh here, we have a dream. We have a dream. This, this church community was started with a dream. This church community was started with a dream to say, there's a community right here where kids travel through. They learn about Jesus in this very space every week, as well as in their classrooms. They learn about Jesus through their teachers. We want them to know that they always have a spiritual home. We want their families to know that they are welcome to come on this journey too. We want this place to be a place where people from this community find Jesus. Refresh has a dream to grow followers of Jesus and we're all growing. We're all on that journey. Whether we've walked into this door for the very first time, whether we've met Jesus a few years ago or a long time ago, we are still growing. We better be. We're still growing in knowing him. But Refresh wants to be a place where people can continue to grow and always feel welcome no matter where they've come from, what background they have, what knowledge they have, whatever they know or don't know. But we want to see people from our community here at North Pine and a broader community find Jesus in our community. And I believe that when it comes to Refresh, you have a dream too. I believe you do. I believe that you have things that stir inside of you when you think about Refresh. I believe that you think sometimes, what could it look like? I believe sometimes you ponder, who could be here? I believe sometimes you consider where it could extend its reach. You may never have spoken it, but I believe you think it. I believe you have a dream. I believe you have a Nehemiah in you. Maybe sometimes you think, oh, I could just see more community, more connectedness. Maybe you could think, oh, wouldn't it be great if there were smiling faces in the car park? Or maybe you've gone away thinking, oh, I'd love to see our kids serving more. Or maybe something's churning inside of you to say, hey, I wish there was different food on the breakfast table. I don't know. Maybe it could be, I would love to see us gather more as a church and have some fun. Or I'd really like to come intimate with a few people and dig open the Bible and reach into that and learn more. What stirs you? What dream do you have? I'm going to pick on a few people here. And if you're in this room, I didn't get permission. 
But I know for Grant and Leisha in the small group just recently, something stirred them. And as you will have heard, there's an act of kindness project tomorrow. But I tell you, that won't be the last. They're already thinking the next and the next. The Nehemiah in them has gone, we want to do something. And they're stirring that and they've prayed about that and there's a team gathering, I don't know, 25 people or something gathering or more tomorrow. Andrew and Ruth, they've been things stirring in them. These guys want to start a small group. They want to start a little group that's going to open up the Bible and dig in deep and it's going to start next week at 9.15 to 9.45 here. Meet at the breakfast area because they're still nabbing a a perfect place but these guys have gone i want to we want to do something this is stirring in us we really want to add this to refresh and we invite you to join them if you want to dig a bit deeper if you want to talk about the bible if you want to ask some questions and not just listen to us grab from the front you know if you want to interchange a space for you on a saturday morning we really invite you caitlin This last week we've been in a meeting and uh, we've been talking about greeting teams at Refresh to have people smiling and welcoming and teams and we just haven't managed to pull it off. But this week she said, Sharon, I'm going to do it. I'm going to organise the team. I'm going to make it happen. The Nehemiah in her stood. Another person this week, Melissa, I think it was this week, last week, she said, our ladies need to get together. Our ladies need to grow closer to each other. We need some stuff for some ladies. Can we organise a dinner out? Sure. I saw it on the screen there. The Nehemiah stirring, going, I have a dream for Refresh. I want us to be a serving community. I want us to be a community that knows more about the word. I want us to be a community that gathers people together. I want to be a welcoming community because there's a Nehemiah in all of us. You wonder how this story ended? A bit later on in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 6, and it's not on the screen. It says, so the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. So in 52 days, that team finished the whole war. There was power in a dream, and God is behind it. Let the Nehemiah rise up in us. I want to show you this little clip as we end. This little clip um, starts with one. And hopefully by the end you can feel a life movement in it. And that's what I hope we can continue to do in Refresh here. We are a movement. And this church is moving and it's so exciting to see. And I just want to encourage you to let the dream inside of you continue to work. As we invest in this place, God is surely with us. Thank you, Sean.
one Nehemiah. There are many instruments in that group. We all bring something to the table. And then people gathered, and people gathered, and people joined in. So my challenge to us today is this, my consideration is this. Will you re be willing to release the Nehemiah in you? That thing that stirs, where you think, I have a dream too. I have a dream to refresh. A dream that adds to the vision that we're trying to achieve here. Or maybe, maybe you're not the conductor. Maybe you're part of the team. I don't know. But what I loved in that video was the emotion, the excitement, the joy when people came together. And I know that's what happens. So as we keep moving forward and refresh, as we keep moving forward, I just continue to ask for your prayers. But I also challenge you to let the Nehemiah in you stand. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this great story of Nehemiah, that it is a testament to you. Because God, you're a God who's always with, and you were always with the children of Israel as you had their backs. You're a God who uses ordinary people who are willing. And you are a God, God, who, if you are behind it, nothing will stop. There's momentum. There's definitely success because it's all yours, God. We just praise you for refresh. I praise you for this community. I praise you for the young people and the, the leaders that are meeting right now. I praise you for this school and for this community that's around us, God. And we, Lord, have a dream. And we lay it at your feet and we thank you. And we ask that you would give us the courage that we would be willing to invest in the dream that sits within us. In Jesus' name, amen.